0: please visit MikeNopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit JcastNetwork.org. Welcome, everybody. Nice to be with you. Nice to be able to learn a little bit with you and prepare a little bit uh, with you uh, for the Yamin Moraim, the Days of Awe, the High Holy Days, that are coming up. Um... I'd like to take a moment and like, let the music settle. Um, one of the uh, places in which the idea for this, um, uh, for this conversation, for this class, uh, originated was when uh, Cantor and I went to uh, Song Leader Boot Camp in, um, in St. Louis last winter, uh, which was a really wonderful experience. And, um, and I, I took this session... Um, with, uh, uh, Rabbi David Ingber from Romu in New York and, um, Cantor, the Cantor that I thought was the one that you liked, but wasn't, uh, (laughs) (laughs) not that you didn't like her, but just like wasn't the one that you really liked. Ellen Dreskin? Yes. Is that it? Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, she's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not that you didn't like her, just, like, not the one, not your, like, teacher. So, anyway, um, I did clarify that because this might be in cyberspace at some point. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> Ellen Dressing, we love you. Um, so, uh, they, they did a session on, like, uh, I don't remember if it was called this, but it was something like Gems of the Sea Um and it was just a beautiful, like, like kind of pulling out, like, little nuggets from the, the Sea door that when you're praying at... Dawning speed when you're kind of like in the kind of flow of service, you don't spend a lot of time kind of like meditating on, reflecting on. But if you kind of like linger on those passages, um, not even whole chunks of text, like like three or four words, um, if you linger on them, they they, they really uh, resonate. Uh, and so one was um, the uh, um, the blessing Epsukere Zimra. We praise God who is Haboher B'shiray zimrah um, which is a phrase that's actually kind of tricky to translate uh, because uh, it means uh, that we're praising God as the the one who, who chooses or delights in um, uh, songs of song, right? Uh, shir is a song and Zimrah. Is, is a song, so it's like, uh, uh, and shireh is, is what they call in Hebrew, so it's possessive, right, so songs of song, it doesn't really make any sense, uh, so people will try to make sense of, of, of what, it's, uh, what it's talking about, and, one of the, and a Hasidic interpretation of it is uh, that God is it's re-reading the word Shire as Shayare, which means uh, the remnants that god delights in the remnants of song so we fill up the space with song and then and then god uh um uh, even after all the people have left the building um uh, god still marinates in the in the remnants of the songs that we uh, that we leave behind i thought that was so beautiful and so i love kind of just like letting the melody uh settle um before before we start learning that, we, that way we can kind of uh, uh, Stu and Shirei Zimra uh, together uh, and have helped lift us up. Uh, and so the, the idea for this class, for me uh, anyway, kind of uh, was sparked in, in that session uh, because uh, Rabbi Ingbert uh, pointed out uh, a, a couple of instances in the prayer book uh, that um, are unusual, unexpected. Usually in prayer, we expect, we expect statements, really. We expect declarations, right? What's the most probably famous declaration in the typical prayer service? Shema. Good, the Shema, right? So at the heart of our prayer service is not a question, right? We're, we, we are given words to declare something, to, to make a statement about something, and that is throughout the liturgy. Much of what we do in the liturgy our, our declarations. My my teacher, Rabbi Brad Artson uh, says that um, that the prayer book is uh, or prayer is kind of like um, method acting, right? We like we're trying to become the script, right? So the prayer makes all the the, the script makes all these declarations of, of, of gratitude and piety and righteousness, and by saying them, we try to become them. So I, I love that, and that's typically uh, um, uh, what prayer consists of in uh, in Jewish tradition. Or, 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 or declarations, exclamations, uh, sentences. So it's surprising when there are questions in the Siddur, questions in the Makhzor, things that uh, are posed um, as, um, uh, uh, as somewhat open-ended, um, uh, maybe for us and maybe for God. Um, now, I will say uh, that, um, uh, that the questions that I'm going to explore tonight um, are, are actually answered in the prayer book. So they, they're phrased as questions, and then, I think that in pretty Jewish fashion, immediately they're answered uh, ostensibly by the person who's doing the asking. So it's kind of a rhetorical question, um, but, but I wanted to see what it would feel like to actually just kind of open them up as as questions in and of themselves. And then, uh, and then we can uh, look together at um, uh, 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 a way of looking at how to answer the, the questions the machsor's questions. The machsor's questions. Right, So that's what we're doing today. We're going to look at a couple of the questions that are posed by the High Holiday Prayer Book. And then next week, um, we're going to look at a couple of more with uh, Cantor Rosenblatt, um, uh, different ones. Um, so first, just a, um, a, a, a thing about terminology. Uh, so typically, the Jewish Prayer Book is called C good. What does C mean? Order. Good. Order. Um anybody know when the first C was written? It's a, yeah, close. Yeah, yeah. eighth um, uh, century. Um uh, by uh, a, a, a rabbi named Rav Amram uh, Gaon, uh, and uh, it wasn't called a siddur then; it was called a seder. Seder, Rav Amram Gaon, seder like the like the Passover seder, like that, uh, So when it when it became like a an institution, uh, they changed the word slightly to be a, like an identifiable object. But a seder just describes sort of like the the ritual progression of a thing, right? And so what uh, Rav Amram did was he took. Uh, um, it, it's sort of in some ways like a, like a mini law code, right? He kind of compiled, took bits and pieces, uh, from various areas of Jewish law and kind of put them in order to kind of lay out what a legal, a lawful Jewish prayer service uh, would would look like. Um, interest, the, the Siddur of Rav Amram, which, which also had a, a, high holiday, uh, section, um, uh, was so popular that, um, that people kept copying it and copying it, which, which means that it's really hard to find um, an authentic. Um, you, the scholars debate what the original text was of uh, Amram Sidor um, because uh, uh, when everybody took it and copied it, they added their own little flourishes and things like that, which is what Jews do uh we tend not to take things out but we are perfectly comfortable adding things in um so uh so we have a pretty thick uh, prayer book now the uh Sidor for the high holidays um and uh, I I didn't actually research the history of this before I can say cuz I thought it was not particularly germane but it's called a machzor what is a machzor excellence yeah machzor good The word "choser" in Hebrew is to return. So, I think that part of the reason—well, maybe now I won't tell you a lot. is a class about questions. So, why why would we call the machzor a machzor? The
1: obvious answer is that we're coming back to almost coming back to the basics. That this is not about uh, every part, every day the prayer service, depending on the day and the time, and all of these other. To it, and although from what I can tell, the monster keeps the same trajectory, uh, this is really about it's about, it, it's about God and our connection to, to God and to, to the whole creation, as opposed to a connection to a part of the day or other kinds of things. I don't know right. Yeah.
2: So, okay, I, I I am thinking. Debbie. Debbie. Yeah. Okay. I'm thinking it's more like. Do we don't we read Umbrella sheet? It's like beginning of the year returns beginning. <laughs> reset.
0: Resetting.
2: Uh, like you have a fresh.
0: Page. I love that. I love so those. That's those are those are probably. Never
2: asked me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that's
0: great. So we uh, on Rosh Hashanah we don't read uh, the very beginning of Bereshit. Okay. We don't do that until yes. Simchat Torah. Yeah. Uh, we do read. We do read from Bereshit though. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So
0: in the Reform tradition, they do read Bereshit. Oh, really? So yeah, you it's know, okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, which, to be <laughs> fair, to the Reform tradition, crazy. makes perfect sense. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, the. Uh, no, I know we even- the, uh, the the tour reading that we read for Rosh Hashanah, um, no, uh, which is I the doubt well, doubt. the first day is the birth of Isaac, and the yes, second day is. Is, is the binding of Isaac. Um, they're surprising stories to read for Rosh Hashanah. Uh, on their surface, <laughs> well, they're, they're they're powerful stories, but they're but they surprising for Rosh Hashanah because they don't on their surface seem to have anything to do with Rosh Hashanah. So you know, it's that's, that's, so that's beginning Yes, yeah, so that's one way of looking at them. Um, Anyway, but that's you know the, why we the, the question of why we read those texts on Rosh Hashanah is you know what, what this is a midrashic moment, right? You can it's an opening for interpretation. But um, but I do love the idea of you know Rosh Hashanah being the the, the beginning of the year, and so we're, we're kind of returning uh, back to the beginning. I love the idea of kind of thematic um, uh, returning to our source, returning to relationship with God. Um, uh, the where my mind went with the idea of Ma'ozor. Um, was similar, right? Because what's probably the central theme or like religious posture of the high holy day season. Repentance, tshuva. Good repentance or tshuva, right? So, uh, uh, on on its most basic level, repentance is uh, um, uh, making up for the wrongdoings that that we've done, for the sins that we've committed, uh, for the things that we've ways in which we've transgressed. Um, and um, and making our lives different or, or making different choices uh, but the word chuva um, uh, comes from a different root in Hebrew that also that's means right. uh, so a chuva is an answer that's true um, it's good it's turning or returning right so the, when uh, the, the the idea that a chuva is 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 like, that it's an answer is sort of like a volley back, right? Uh, in tennis or volleyball, right? Uh, so you get a question and you return it, right? So it's this, it's a connected route. Um, but yes, the, the 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 term of tshuva, the term of repentance, um, literally means turning, right? It's almost as though uh, what the tradition is inviting us to do is kind of stop where we are and move in a different direction, or even return to our uh, most essential selves or most godly selves. So I think another possible way of thinking about a mazor is something that invites you into that process of returning. And so uh, I, I want us to kind of have that lens on what we're going to look at tonight, on the questions that we're going to look at tonight because what I, uh, I think a, a way of looking at these questions is what do these questions open up for you about the process of chuva? About uh, what it means to return or what it means to repent, what it means to um, uh, tran- to to evaluate our lives uh, and potentially to transform our lives? How might these questions uh, invite a conversation, reflection, um, uh, guidance on on how we do that? Uh, that's probably not why the Moxor is called the Mach-Zor. Um Cantered. You, uh, uh, you, I don't know if you're smiling because no, So uh, um, I think that a machzor is called a machzor for a related reason, which is um, we return to it on an annual basis, right? Okay. So it's something that we that we come back to, kind of on a rotating cycle. So it's also people make machzorim for the um, for the other Jewish holidays as well for the for the Sholosh to... it, it could very well be. Sometimes we get phantom it. rings. Yeah. I did not lock it oh maybe okay um, uh, so we also we have mockrim not only for the high holy days but also uh, for um, for the Shogel the three pilgrimage festivals um, now typically because the liturgy is not all that much different for the uh, pilgrimage festivals Um uh, except for very smart publishers who uh, have a niche audience of Jews who will buy lots of Jewish books, um, for the most part, you know, like in the conservative movement, they recognize that congregations are the ones that are buying uh, all these books. And they want to make life easy for congregations. So they put the hi- the regular holiday liturg- liturgy, the uh, the the festival liturgy in the regular sidor. Um and the high holy day liturgy because there's so much more of it. They need to make a separate volume for. Um, uh, but you know. Uh, uh, Wiley publishers who want to <laughs> sell more copies will make a mockery <laughs> for no, Nick, yeah, um, yeah um, for uh, um, uh, for the own independent holidays okay? but anyway my, my point in kind of uh, just bringing that is is to have that lens on the questions that we're looking at, that chuva lens on, on what we're looking at because I think in, in, uh, in, in large part virtually everything in the Mahzor um, is meant to be viewed through that prism, right? Um, my, uh, another one of my teachers, Rabbi Erwin Kula, um, says that uh, you know, religion um, is, a, a by and large, um, a, a chest of tools that are trying to get particular spiritual, psychological jobs done for people, right? And so the, so the Mahzor is a chest of tools that are trying to get tshuva done, people. I and mean, that's not the only job the High Holidays um, is doing. Cantor and I spend a lot of time before the High Holidays um, thinking about what are the jobs that need to get done, uh, that people need to get done. Um, but, uh, but at least from the Jewish tradition's perspective, Chuva is the is the major one. Um, with that though, I'll give one side note that um, and another way of kind of thinking about these questions is when, when Cantor and I were talking about the, the jobs that needed to get done, uh, this Rosh Hashanah, um, we thought that uh, for for various reasons, in particular, like this uh, high holy day season and the liturgy of the high holy days, um, uh, really invites reflection on um, on three themes or three questions, um, which are um, identity. Right. So, so who am I in my in my essence, in my core? Like, what is what is most fundamentally me? Um, uh, issues of, of values. Right? so um, what beliefs or values ideas uh, commitments do I most cherish um, and um, and purpose so what what am I what am I really called to do in the world and in the coming year where do I see what direction do I see my life needing to go so that a year from now I can, kind of stand at Rosh Hashanah and say, how, how close did I hit that mark? Um, which is another way of thinking about Shuvah, The Hebrew for a sin is, or one of the Hebrew, uh, Rabbi Artin uh, talks about um, uh, Inuits have a lot of different words for snow, apparently, uh, or so it's said. Uh, he says that, uh, that Hebrew is like that or Judaism is like that for words about love. We have we have you know like a hundred different words for love, uh, but I think it's also true that we have probably a hundred different words for sin, various different kinds of sin. Uh, and one of them one of them is avera, uh, and uh, and avera um, is uh, is also utilized in um, in archery um, as uh, to to avor is to like to, to be to be sort of off center, right? To miss the mark. There's um, so no way think, So if we if we say okay, you know, what's the mark I want to hit in the coming year, uh, or what's the mark I uh, I had for myself in the year that's passed, and how close or not did I hit that mark, and and how can I see the mark that I want to hit in? in the year.
1: One of the things that I always find troubling during um, that holy day service is not about the service. It's the whole idea of being able to do that makes an assumption that. Throughout the whole year, you are engaged in that returning process. I mean, you're doing and, you're doing, like, and you're doing those fast days once every even. you're really in that process. So by the time you're getting to this place, you may be deepening the work, but so much of it, it would be a, a lot more clarity about it. And then I don't know about anybody else, but me, it's like, All right, we're here. I better like, I don't even remember this past year, you know? Right, right. I don't know if I missed the mark or not because I can't remember. I can remember yesterday. I know I missed the mark a bunch of times, but you know, so I think it's the there's like this pressure almost that the Master gives us for those of us, I'll speak for me, for people like me who aren't so deeply embedded in that process. and, And I think most contemporary Jews. Are are not, you know, and so that makes it hard to come and use the mock store and for it to really be a tool for change, because you have know, the whole year hasn't been working on that, so, I mean, I, I'm not, you I know, mean, I, we all work on stuff, but not in necessarily our spiritual work, yeah. so I don't know, it's just my, my struggle.
0: Yeah, I, well, I think I mean I, I I'll say that I that I uh, echo and identify with that struggle, um, and I would suspect that um, that at best most people um, identify with that struggle if they even recognize it as a problem at all, right? But um, you know, most of us I, I, Jewish tradition. I mean, there is actually I uh, listened to a, um, a, a rabbi I held uh, in Hadar in, in New York gave a talk. Um, a a week or two ago um to rabbis um about chuva and what he suggested there is that within jewish tradition there's actually a debate about whether chuva is something that um is unique to the high holidays or if it's something that we're supposed to be perpetually engaged in and maimonides at least thinks it's something that we're supposed to be perpetually engaged in um Maimonides um, uh, was um, a giant intellectually and spiritually, um, and I'll, I imagine that he had extraordinary uh, discipline. Uh, most of us don't have the discipline of, of Maimonides, um, and so um, we, you know, we might be really capable of taking a day or ten days to thoroughly examine our lives, um, and uh, make commitments of how we're going to do it better in, in the coming year, and then most of us, uh, I, I think it's probably fair to say, um, within a few days after the high holy days, um, are back to our normal routines. Um, that's just the nature of being human. And the only place I've ever seen people like really, really, really um, invested in for you know in a long term um, uh, in this kind of work is in. Um, is in addiction recovery. Um, But even for them, you know, like once they get out of the intensity of residential rehab, um, they may not, they may not relapse, but they, but they, they, they try to go back to their normal lives because you can't be like journaling your every thought and movement all the time to see like where you screwed up. So, um, so it makes it, it makes it really challenging. Um, And in addiction work, there's
1: like here, you know, it's They have Shavruta in their own way, yeah. and that's the benefit of having it. I don't think we only see it now. What word is Shavruta? The, the partnership? Yeah. The partner
0: yeah. study partner. Yeah.
1: But we think that in Judaism we tend... Not Judaism, but people in Shavruta tend to see it as a study partner where um, the 12-step world's got it covered is they see it as a spiritual partner. Right. Okay, but not to like... Because I really want to hear your questions, but, yeah.
2: like, you even brought up before we started about these, like, modern, day thing. I mean, what you're talking about reminds me of um, the whole self-help genre, or are you going to be civically involved kind of thing, there's just so many, it's like, it could be selfish, or better than yourself, but it's also the whole custom about apologizing to people, it's like, my relationships. People, or be a man, be a god, be to the environment. So do what you can. Don't be sad. Hard on yourself. Go to a few public meetings. <laughs> Recycle your bottles. Try to walk. Call your mother or your yeah. cousin or your aunt. Get involved in synagogue or your yeah. city council do the best.
0: You can. Yeah, no, I think that's a really fair point. You know, um uh, I, I do think that, uh, there's a tendency, um, to, uh, for people to use the high holy days as an opportunity to be as hard as they possibly can be on themselves, especially Yom Kippur, um, is like this for people. Uh, and, um, and I don't think that that's what the tradition is, is, uh, I don't think it's, it's really telling us to like whip ourselves. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: I mean, there's also massaging we our hearts and to further that.
2: the modern trends. Now it's social media, and now it's people who boast about every moment of their life and how perfect it may or may not be. It's just, just lots
0: of pressure. Yeah, so I think that that's actually a really good that's really good insight because I think what that's that's I think at its core what what the what the High Holy Days are, are trying to do is is not it's not about perfection. It's about like being real with yourself. Right, and being real with God, right? God, God sees through the social media filter that, uh, that, that you create for yourself, right? The, the Instagram life that you've made, right? God knows who the real you is. Um, and so do you still know who the real you is? Um, and, and, and can you be, can you be, um, can you be, uh, um, uh, okay with the real you and also recognize where you could be a little bit better, right? Not necessarily perfect, not, Definitely not perfect, I mean, necessarily. Perfect. Not perfect, but better, right? Yom Kippur, we play for 24 hours at being angels, right? We don't, we don't eat, we don't engage uh, in, in intimacy, we uh, we don't drink, uh, we stand in prayer all day, right? That's the tradition says that, you know, we wear white, right? We, this is supposed to be mimicking angels, and there's a reason why our tradition has us uh, only practice at doing that for 24 hours, right? Because it's thoroughly unsustainable, um, and unattainable for, for a human being to live like that all their life. So, Cantor and I were studying um, in the Talmud. We, we, we were kind of reviewing the Makhzor, and um, and we wanted to look at this idea of the the Sefer um, uh, or the Sfarim, the books that uh, God. Uh, uh, purportedly has open on uh, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, um, and so it's in the liturgy quite a bit, uh, especially the notion of Sefer HaChayim, the Book of Life. Um, and so it's in. Uh, if you we're going, we're going to turn to this to push this page anyway, so you can look at it uh, yourself um, on page eighty-two. Um, this phrase that we beat this. Uh, uh, little poem um that we what do you, what do you call a little poem a poemlet? what oh. yeah oh not a pete right? yeah it is a, it's it's a pew. it's like excerpt. it's a yeah it's a pe it's a piece of pew. um that um a piece of pew. um so it's uh, uh so we start adding it on Yom Kippur and we continue uh, saying it through uh Yom Kippur. So he says, b'chaim, Remember us for life, um our our sovereign who desires life, b'sefer Chaim, and write us in the book of life, Elohim Chaim, for your sake, uh, God of life." So we ask ourselves, like, where does that idea from the book of life come from? Because uh, I, I was thinking in my head, like, like it's definitely post-biblical. It's actually not. The, the, there's a place in a couple places in, in not in the Torah, but in the rest of the Bible, where it talks about the idea of a sefer ha-chaim, um, a book of life. But the rabbis talk about it in this really, really interesting way. It says that um, on Rosh Hashanah, God opens three books. You usually think of two books. God opens three books according to the Talmud. One is the book of life. One is the book of death, and one is for the in-betweenies. And so the the completely righteous, right, the perfect people. Those 36. Those 36 people of of 8 billion, right, um, they go right into the book of life. And those completely wicked people, you know, your Hitlers, your Pol Potts, your, you know, whatever, right, um, they go immediately into the book of death. The in-betweenies, however, um, meaning, like, all That's 8 man. billion people minus that, like, 30, you know, whatever, uh, people who might go into those other two books, um, uh, get their judgment gets held throughout the 10 days of repentance until uh, Yom Kippur. And then, um, those who have done enough repentance in those... Ten days through Yom Kippur to be inscribed in the Book of Life, get moved over to the Book of Life automatically. Makes sense. And those who and those who like you know, whatever, kept eating cheeseburgers or whatever it was they uh, or, or massacre people. I'm equating those two things. Uh, they uh, they get put automatically. In the book. You like took those ten days and like really doubled down on genocide. You get put in the Book of Death. Okay, but. Um, but let's say you're still kind of in the in between camp. You did some tshuva. You like didn't like egregiously sin. You're like you're trying. You're doing your best. Um, God's we, this is where uh, I said like everybody's on the side of compassion and uh, and not the side of justice. Um, God's compassion overrides God's sense of justice. And even if you're exactly in the middle, right? You you you're, your good deeds balance out exactly with your bad deeds. God tips you over into the book of life so I, I say all that to reinforce this idea that what the high holy days are looking for is not perfection right but, but effort kavanah yeah great let's do it okay what time did the schedule say this class was supposed to end tonight 830 or 9 9 okay is that cool for everybody alright maybe we'll get on early maybe we'll we'll see okay um we'll just take one of that. um Okay, if you want in your Makhzor, you can uh, see the first question on page uh, 86. Uh, I'll say that that you know th- this is kind of cheating, because both of the questions that I'm going to look at tonight are questions that are not only in the Makhzor, these are things that are in the Shabbat and Holiday Liturgy too, um, uh, but I'm going to hedge that by saying that if the tradition didn't think that they were relevant to the high holy days; they would have taken them out and substituted with something else. So uh, they're still they're in there, and so they're they're relevant both to Shabbat and, and to the um, the lens of Chuva that we're bringing. Because so the first question is this, and if you're in the Siddur, it's on page eighty six. It's um, in the Kedusha. Uh, both of the questions we're going to look at tonight are in the Kedusha. So um, the the um, most important prayer. Let me think of actually how I'm going to lay this out. Um, uh, um, Yeah. The most important prayer in any prayer service is called the Amidah. Okay? And a prayer service isn't a prayer service formally unless it has an Amidah. Right? So an Amidah is the prayer, uh, the the, the standing private prayer. Um, The rabbinic tradition calls that Tfilah. Right? So Um, what we call in general, we call prayer tefillah, right, on the marquee outside, we advertise Shabbat services as tefillot, right, with rabbinic tradition, would have said, right, that's talking about the Amidah, so that's the, that's this, and everything is kind of either leading up to, or leading away from the Amidah in, um, in a prayer service, right, so in in morning service we have a bunch of preliminary prayers, the Shema is in some sense a preparation for Amidah, and then we have the Amidah, and then we have some concluding prayers, you know, uh, Tachnun, if you do it, Aleinu, uh, so on and so forth, right? Mincha is like that too, it's a kind of more condensed version, Mincha you have ashrays, your lead up to the Amida. then you have the Amidah, and then you have um, the prayers after. The Amidah itself is uh, broken up into several component parts. Um, uh, during the week the, the Amidah consists of, anybody know how many blessings? Good, it's called the Shemot Esrei, yeah, it's called the Shemoneh which means eighteen. Cool. Uh, but it actually has nineteen, uh, because for uh, uh, his when it was originated, it had eighteen blessings. Uh, but at a certain point in its uh, development, a nineteenth was was added. Um, but. Um, the first three, the first three blessings, and the last three blessings of the Amidah um, remain the same for every prayer service, no matter what day, no matter what time of day. Um, they, they are always the same. So it starts with um, Avot slash Imahot, right, um, patriarchs matriarchs, and then the, the second blessing is Gvura. Um, so uh, in uh, uh, conservative and Orthodox uh, liturgy. Uh, it is Baruch Atah Mechaye Hametim. Blessed are you, God, who uh, uh, brings life to the dead, gives life to the dead. A topic for a whole other conversation. Um, and uh, But in the Reformed tr- Reform traditions, usually it's Baruch Atah Mechaye HaKol. Blessed are you, God, uh, who uh, revives everything, or gives life to everything. Um, i not sure, uh, probably in renewal, goes back and forth. Yeah. And Reconstructionist probably, yeah, Reconstructionist probably is Michaya Hakol also, generally speaking. Yeah. yeah
2: it, Depending so,
0: on. so, what's the question? Hold, hold on, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. <laughs> yeah. I, I just want to give, I want to give like, want to give the framework and the context for it. Okay, so that's the second, the second blessing. Um, and the third blessing is always a Kedushat Hashem, a, a declaration of God's holiness. Um, so, the, the, formal blessing of kedusha Hashem is uh, Baruch Ata Adonai um, Ha'el HaKadosh in the High Holy Days we change that to Baruch Ata Adonai HaMelech HaKadosh um, so normally it's uh, Blessed Are You God uh, the, the Holy God and in the High Holy Days we say Blessed Are You God um, the Holy Sovereign because on the High Holy Days we emphasize God's sovereignty and um, so that's the uh, that's the essential so uh, whether you have a minion or not whether you have a prayer quorum of 10 people or not uh, you'll you you would recite that um that blessing but if you do have a prayer quorum um there's a tradition of um of declaring God's holiness publicly out loud and so um uh uh when the amida is said out loud either in a repetition that the leader does um after private prayer uh, or introducing uh, private prayer, which we call a Hech um which means that basically you just do the amida through the, Kedusha. Um, the uh, um there's a longer uh, liturgy uh, of this kind of public declaration of, of God's holiness um, that centers around uh, two verses from the prophets, uh, um, from one from Isaiah, one from Ezekiel, um, that um, uh, that that either in, that the envision uh, angels uh, in, on high declaring God's holiness. So we're, uh, we we do this on Yom Kippur. As sort of in a sense for like the whole day. But each and every day uh, we're emulating the angels in declaring God's holiness in public. Okay. So the two questions that we're going to look at are from the Kedusha, from that section of the Amida. One is from the morning, and one is from Musaf. One is from Shacharit, and one is from Musaf. Okay, so the first question is this. It's on uh, the first page here, and in, in, in the Machzor, uh, it's uh, um, uh, I don't know about about halfway, about about halfway, two thirds of the way down. So the question is this: Matai Timluch Btzion. When will you reign over Zion? Oh. Eighty six, mm-hmm. but it's also in it's also on the page that I gave on the handout that I gave you if you'd, if you'd rather at the very top question number one, one. Line, yeah.
1: yeah,
0: so if you see if you um, you see where she's pointing. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's hard to it, so after the like second bold line. Oh, okay. um, right, so it starts Mimkum Chama tofia Right uh, from your from your place, our, our sovereign, uh, you will be manifest. V'tim lochalenu, and you will rule over us. because we are waiting for you. Matai tim loch When will you reign over Zion? That's the question. So before we start getting into answers uh, of it. Um, why do you think the Ma'asor has us ask this question? Anybody know?
1: Sociological viewpoint: There has never been a time where Jewish people and those have not not doubted. Like in, in the desert, we were doubting, <laughs> and so I, I think that that's like part of our. Yeah. That's part of us: is to doubt. Wait, was it a question of doubting?
2: Did, were the people doubting God, faith in God? Or was God, like, were they like, where are you God? I don't know. Yeah. No, it's not. I kind of, is it like, it well.
1: like
2: they're, they're miss, God is missing? Like, it's we need you, but I don't even know if I... But, is God not there? Or were the people not, like, accepting God?
0: That's a great question. Anybody have thoughts But well,
2: The first statement question questions whether I don't know the scene.
0: Like was God yeah. not there or were the people not accepting? Good, okay. So maybe maybe it would help to give a little bit of context for this. So um for those of you who are have a little bit of familiarity with Jewish history, um uh, when when do you think this prayer um I think if I don't want to ask this question. Um When was the earliest this prayer probably could have been written? After the destruction of the first temple. Good. After the destruction of the first temple, right? So um, in 586 before the Common Era? What?
1: (laughs) No, I was thinking in my head.
0: Yeah, <laughs> five eighty six for the common era. Uh, the, uh, the the Babylonians uh, uh, conquer uh, the kingdom of Judah and destroy the city of Jerusalem and destroy the temple, uh, which was um, the religious epicenter of um, of uh, of Judaism uh, to that point. Um, and uh, m- much of the population uh, they uh, they massacred or enslaved, uh, but some of the population. Uh, they uh, took as captives to Babylonia. So if you remember the, the song by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat and there we wept and we remembered Zion, um, right? That's it's a song of the captives uh, in Babylon. Eventually those captives um, are, or their descendants are restored, uh, are able to go back to Jerusalem once the Persians conquer the Babylonians in uh, around 450 um, no, five forty. Excuse me. Uh, five about five forty. Uh, sorry, I had the numbers slipped my head. Uh, about five forty. Um, uh, uh, before five thirty-eight, sticking in my head, something like that. Um, of the uh, before the common era, uh, Jews are allowed to return. So the books in the Bible of Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, or as uh, my Christian friends say, Nehemiah, um, are about uh, the return of the exiles uh, back to Jerusalem, where they start to rebuild the. Second Temple.
1: And that's the nineteenth
0: uh, blessing that was added in, it, right? Uh, uh, it's among the theories for it. Yeah, it's among the theories for it. Uh, some people say that 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 all of the blessings were written uh, during the period of the Babylonian uh, exile. Um, yeah. um, okay, so so presumably that's the earliest that this prayer could have been written, right? The the people had had uh, just been uh, uh, deposed of of sovereignty over. Uh, over Sion over Jerusalem, um, and uh, not only not only were um, uh, were, were they deposed of, of sovereignty, but that was a, a, an, an incredibly harsh blow to um, the Jewish worldview, right? Uh, because in ancient times, um, uh, when um, uh, 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 if you believed that uh, you had a special relationship with God, then how could God let something like that happen to you? Um, It was um, a a, a, um, a historic injustice that had yet to be rectified, right? And the only way that they could imagine it being rectified is the restoration, not only the restoration of the Jewish people, but actually a a different kind of restoration, a permanent kind of restoration, um, which they imagine not as having um, a, a... uh, human sovereignty over Zion, over uh, uh, Jerusalem, uh, but divine sovereignty over Jerusalem. So, if you look at the um, at uh, Isaiah uh, chapter two, text number two here. Um, it's also there's a parallel text, almost identical in in the with the prophet Micah um, that I didn't bring. Someone read in English. You can read in Hebrew if you want, but I assume the English is probably... yeah. um, we'll
2: right, In days me. to come, the mount of the infinite <laughs> house shall stand firm above the mountains and tower above the hills, and all the nations shall gaze on it with joy. And the many people shall go and stay. Say, I'm sorry, come, let us go up to the mountain of the infinite, to the house of the God of Jacob that God may instruct us in God's ways, and that we may walk in God's paths. For instruction shall come forth from Zion, the words of the infinite from
1: Jerusalem.
0: Right, just, just pause there for one second, okay? So, in the days to come, whatever, whenever that might be, the Hebrew is, which actually could be translated as at the end of days. So, this vision of when this might happen could have been like... Forever in the distance, they didn't know what Isaiah didn't know what it was going to happen. At some point, at the end, whenever the end of time is, like that's when this is going to happen, right? Um, the Mount of the Infinite House, uh, sh- meaning the Temple Mount, right, shall stand firm above the mountains and tower above the hills. Anybody who's ever been to Jerusalem um, would know that the Mount of the Infinite's house may be the highest peak in Jerusalem, um, but it is by no means the highest peak of all the hills, even in the land of Israel, much less in all the world, right? So this is talking about some kind of radical uh, reorganization of the status quo. Um, all the nations shall gaze on it with joy. Right? So, uh, So what does that mean?
1: What it says... Right? All will bend their name. Whether, whether modern, like From blade of grass to all people, like the whole world, everyone, everything will see God as as the ultimate, not just the Jewish people.
0: Good, right? There'll be there'll be a uh, a radical social realignment too with, with everybody kind of uh, 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 recognizing uh, their, their shared values uh, and uh, their shared beliefs, right? The, the, the um, uh, tradition kind of imagines that as them all sort of pledging uh, loyalty to God's sovereignty and God recognizing uh, God's uh, reality. Uh, the Alenu, uh, being another example of a prayer that originates in the High Holy Day Mahzor, uh for related reasons, I think, right? So there's there's this uh, there's so Isaiah has this image, right? Of you know, following the destruction of the temple and the exile uh, into uh, into Babylonia of a radical reordering of uh, of of society and nature, right? And They're all going to go. They're all going to look at this unnaturally uh, tall mountain uh with uh with a, with a temple on it and they're going to be so excited about it um uh everybody's excited to go to shul now a really radical reordering of nature okay um and um right and uh um and they're all excited to go and learn torah right for the, the Hebrew here is, is great. You'll recognize the Hebrew when I read it to you. Ki mitzion Torah udvar adonai Where do you recognize that line from? Good. We take out the Torah. We open the ark and we say, we say that line. Right? For, uh, so it says, the translation here is, for instruction shall come forth from Zion, but for Torah shall come forth from Zion, um, and the word of God from Jerusalem. Right. so in other words, right, everybody that's gonna be the, the 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 seat of God's sovereignty and God's power uh, um, to uh, to bring the world into alignment and harmony is gonna emanate from Jerusalem. So when how yeah. literal
2: is the location element of
0: that? <laughs> just of that. that uh, tell me what it would mean for you if it were more or less literal. I'll, I'll 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 be less coy about it. I mean, I think uh, that I but I do want to hear your answer. I think for Isaiah it was probably literal. Right. Yeah. But I don't think that that's necessarily how it has to be read. Right. right. Yeah. So what do you so when you're literally documenting like this like the physical
1: location of the city of Ursa, there's a lot of um, political and, and social things wrapped up.
2: Unachievable.
0: What's that? It seems unachievable to the yeah. point that we sure. take it very literally, at least in the world. But. Yeah. It does, doesn't it? Um uh so um I would say that the vision that Isaiah is portraying here is about as far from uh, historical and contemporary reality as a prophetic vision could be um, uh, you can make arguments that there are periods in history where it may be closer or further away from it um, but you'd probably but those are kind of splitting hairs in some ways because uh, even the closest we've ever been to it um, is, uh, yeah, go ahead. I'm oh, sorry. Yeah, No, no, go ahead.
1: Uh, it just made me think about the, when we talk about God's, God's compassion at this time, or really at all times, that, that it is such an unrealistic view, right? That it, it, and the question to me is also about the same question we asked about, when will the Mashiach you know, Someday, yeah. right? <laughs> like, it's this... It, it's so far beyond our capability of of seeing and believing it can be true in this way, but because it's it's there, we continue to work at it in our tiny little ways. We're all continually striving. And I'm just reminded of what I was studying last week is the whole idea of it's when we're striving, we are closer to God's compassionate love than the person who never had to strive at all, and that. That was really good playing with me all week, that whole idea that this keeps us believing that there is some sliver of possibility. Oh we just have to keep trying. Yeah. And
0: that's
1: the whole point.
0: And I and I'll just,
1: and,
0: I, and, I'll just and I'll just add to what Deb said, in case it wasn't uh, uh, obvious to people that Isaiah's vision here um, is in some sense uh, synonymous in Jewish tradition with uh, with with the coming of the Messiah, the Messianic era. Right. This is this this is the the one and the same. The the vision of of redemption. Right. Um, is is this vision? Uh, the Messiah kind of plays different roles in this vision in different kind of. Uh, threads of, of Jewish tradition uh, for for some, the Messiah sort of like the the, the stage before we get to this. Um, but whatever it is, right? The, so when we ask this question, Matai Timloch Betsion," we're basically asking, when is the Messiah coming? Right? Yeah, go ahead. From which to which? You jump to this page from that question right, so the the connection was the context which which I think was your was your question right the question of uh when when will you reign over Zion right Isaiah has an image of what that would look like right okay so putting the when question okay. aside right what would it look like for God to reign over Zion okay. right that's what it, that's what we're talking about here when we when we ask that question right so if I you know, say like you know um, when are we gonna eat dinner? Um, I had to have an idea of like what 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 dinner is even if I don't know like what I'm actually gonna eat right so that's that's what's happening then like, we're asking when is this gonna happen so first we're, we're saying we're getting the context of like what's what's the this we're asking is gonna happen right so when so but that's a really I think succinct way of putting it and we should hold in our right right when will you reign over Zion in some sense is you know when is the Messiah coming when is the world going to be? Perfect, right? Keep on going, Kristen, we didn't even finish the passage.
2: Uh, thus God will judge among the nations and arbitrate for the many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not take up sword against nation. They shall never again know war.
0: Right, now, you know, talk about his... About far from historical or contemporary reality uh, as we can get, right? That the, that the world is administered with perfect justice and either because of that or in addition to it, there is no need for conflict anymore and everybody turns their weapons of war into, uh, into materials for human creativity and, uh, and sustenance. Um, so instead of killing each other, the things that we use to feed each other um, and there's no more war, right? So the, 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 you know, when we ask, when will you reign over Zion, right? What we're really asking is when is the world going to be better, right? When, when is the world going to be the world that you want, the world that we were promised, right? The world that we seem very far away from right now, go back, go to text number one on, on this page. And it's, it's phrased even more starkly. Uh, well, someone read, uh, The first, text number one actually has two parts, but someone read the first, Rob Yosef.
1: Rob Yosef, son of Rabbi...
0: Yehoshua, yeah, yeah, Joshua.
1: Yehoshua ben Levi. (laughs) Became ill and was about to expire. When he returned to his house, his father said to him, What did you see when you were about to die? He said to him, I saw inverted."
0: And the uh, keep on going. The next, uh, the next line is basically saying the same thing, but more succinctly.
1: That the world to come is not like this world. It is
0: polar opposite. The polar opposite, right? An inverted world. He goes on to say there, which I cut for space, but um, that that what was low is high, and what was high is low. Um, which uh,
1: that
0: doesn't mean that there's not bad things. It's a good question. Yeah, you want to say more about that? Well, if
1: everything's inverted, that the stuff that's good here is bad there. So
0: then it's... Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, what I would say, what I would say about it is, we, we, uh, we can, uh, yeah, it's a, right. That's what I think is going on. Uh, but you could be right, in which case, that would be there. There's, a big uh room for like really rich. Analysis of this, like like w- what we would be yearning for if it was an inverted world where the good stuff is bad and the bad stuff is good. Um, I think that they're I think that they're they're reflecting on a bleak reality, right? The the um, uh, um, rabbi Joshua Ben Levy um, is a, uh, a a rabbi. I think the second generation. Um, uh, uh, after the destruction of the second temple. Um, so really in the midst of pro- probably the most brutal aspects of Roman occupation. Um, we'll see that in, in a moment, uh, or we'll see a commentary on that in a moment. Um, but, uh, but, but so I think that, uh, that he's making a pretty, bleak uh, comment about the current reality and uh, basically saying, right. So, but again, I, I put that here just to kind of like open up this question. It's like, like when will things be the opposite of what they are? Okay? When we look at the world and we see all of the struggles, all the challenges and the pain in our own life, right? Like, um, you know, hold this, um, whatever struggles, or challenges that I'm personally having, like, um, uh, when will I have relief? Um, so, okay. Um, so that's the question. When will things be better? So let me, let, before actually we go on to the next page, let's, let me go back to the questions I have about the question, which is, um, why do you think the machzor has us ask this question? And what answer to the question would be the most satisfying or meaningful to you and why? Start with the first one. Why, why do you think the Maxer has us asked this question?
2: I was thinking when we're reflecting on our own our own uh, problems, and our our own faults, that maybe we want to blame it on how the world is. And I don't know what the answer is, but you know, maybe it's sort of like you
0: can't just say how the world is we have to you know. the Michael Jackson man in the mirror argument yeah yeah other thoughts uh, no like it's the question there's such a longing in that question
1: A you the know, that's the energy i always have around my holidays like in 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 service it's like a longing not as much of a better better, but like a longing that's all i can say about so like he keeps me definitely keep me in that space wanting to believe that it happened but the con- is a very contemplative place for a very contemplative, you know, time. But, you know, for me, it's going mm-hmm.
2: Any message of hope, too? We're talking about Zion being a hope and yeah. a positive notion on things will get better.
0: Right. So a, a couple of thoughts about about both of those reflections. I mean, the first is the, you know the, the longing thing really resonates with me, um, and I think that for me, and this I think goes to uh, what both of you are offering. Um, there's there's sort of like a social longing and an internal longing, right? So there's there's a longing for um, for uh, peace on earth. And I also have a longing for, for inner peace, right? The, the, the struggles and challenges and conflicts, um, and doubts and, um, and, 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 and pains, um, unhealed wounds, um, that, that, you know, the, the baggage that I carry with me, like there's a, there's a longing, I think, especially in the high holy days to, to resolve that, right? Um, and so this is sort of, I think, a, um, a, a question that 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 um, that kind of cuts to the core of that feeling. Um, the other thing I forgot, so I'm not going to add it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just have to what, one
1: of the teachings I've heard uh, have been given to me about I Amida mean, in general is for such a personal prayer, why did it have to be so? Um, constructed, and the, one of the thoughts was that people even back when didn't really know how to pray. So here are the words. This is your private prayer, but nobody knows what to say, what to do, what to ask. Right. So here you go. But here is a, a, a direct question that we are able to you know, ask of the creative. You know, when, are, when are you It's such a personal question. It's not, um, it's like me asking God that personally, whether it's on behalf of the world or on behalf of myself, it's still, um, it's okay to ask. It's almost like it's all right to ask God. You're allowed to
0: ask. Right. And and, and I'll add to that that, you know, most of the prayers, I think, the most of the prayers in the prayer book start from a personal place. They're, they're written by people who are feeling these feelings and, and write it down in the language of poetry. Um, and, and I'll add to that, that the question there and the longing that it expresses is something that has been um, uh, uh, present with the Jewish people for most of Jewish history. Um, you know, we, we, despite rising anti-Semitism here and around the world, uh, now um, we, you know, we forget that we live in, in a really great time to be Jewish, um, and most of Jewish history, including very recent memory, um, was uh, uh, really really hard to be Jewish, uh, dangerous to be Jewish, um, and so this kind of like longing for uh, a, a better world um, felt very real to people. You know, I can imagine being in in you know in uh, um, in the Pale of Settlement. Um, places where my ancestors uh, lived before they came here and, and like bursting into tears when you get to that line because the pain of living in that world is so real the fear of it is so real um, what I was going to add I remember what I was going to add to is, um, uh point is that um, uh, Maimonides again um, articulates uh, what he says are 13 principles of Jewish faith um, which you've read before, even if you don't know it. Um, the hymn we call Yigdal is a poetic version of those 13 principles of faith. And so one of the things that Ali says in his principles, a Jew has to say, A'ni ma'amin I believe with complete faith, B'viat ha-mashiach, in the coming of the Messiah, in the coming of the Messiah, um, and even though uh, he may be delayed, uh, even so, I will wait for him every day that he comes. Uh, uh, um, uh, it, it's not uncommon um, for some Jews to have a bag packed um, in their closet just in case the Messiah comes and they need to like get up and go to Jerusalem. Right? Not, not, not. For, in some instances of Jewish history, it was. Uh, uh, you know, to escape, but, um, but there was, there a fear dimension to it, but a hope dimension to it, right? Uh, you know, when, when, uh, the modern state of Israel chose Hatikva as its national anthem, um, there's a reason it was so resonant, right? Because, um, like despite everything that's happened in Jewish history, our hope has not been destroyed. Um, so I think that there is that dimension to this, right? It's it's longing, but it's also hopeful because we, we aren't saying, we're, we're still believing that this is going to happen. Right. So that's that's a great segue to uh, the, the final text uh, for this question that I wanted to look at. It's one of my absolute favorite texts in all of the Talmud. Um, I say that Quite a bit, um, <laughs> though it's you know, uh, but it's like um, it's like which is my favorite child is like the one that happens to be sitting on my lap in that moment, right? So this is my favorite text in all the Talmud. Um, <laughs> um, someone want to read it? Thanks, Rabbi. Rabbi Alexandria says Rabbi Yehushua Yosh-
1: Ben Levi. Lady- is a contradiction in a verb.
0: Remember Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi? We met him before. We meet Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi often in the Talmud, especially when it is related to issues um, connected to the Messiah and the world to come. Apparently, this was something that Rabbi Joshua ben Levi thought about a lot. I, the
1: infinite, will hasten it in its time. It is written in its time, and it is written, I will hasten it. Rabbi Alexandria explains.
0: Just well, actually, before you get there, everybody see what the problem is. No. Okay. Oh. It's yeah. Sort of saying it
1: will happen,
0: but I'll make it happen faster. Yeah. So okay. So th- there's this verse. It says, "I, God, will hasten it in its time." What's the problem there? It, it's,
1: it's kind a of a contradiction.
0: contradiction. Yeah, it's, like, it's an internal contradiction. <laughs> Why? I'll
2: make it go faster, but only. On
0: right 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 um it's like it's like saying um dinner's gonna be quickly at six o'clock at six o'clock well quickly depends on your uh how far you are from six o'clock right um or like uh you know um i'm or it's like it's like five o'clock right and uh and dinner's at six it's like um i'm gonna make dinner happen in less than an hour at six o'clock right that's sort of what's saying it. so how can how could this how do we resolve this seeming internal contradiction in this verse? Yeah. Um so Rabbi Alexander explains if
1: they merit redemption, I will hasten the coming of the Messiah. If they do not merit redemption, the coming of the Messiah will be in its designated time.
0: Hmm. Alright, so what so what's the what's the midrash? What's the read?
2: It depends on you.
0: you it depends on you. I mean, yeah. yeah. It depends on y'all. It depends on all y'all. Um, we'll go for ice cream
1: if you clean
0: up your room. Right, right, right. Oh, no, right. Well, right, but we're going anyway. We're, one way or another you're getting ice cream, but we'll get there faster if you clean up your room. Very yeah. apparent. Yeah. A very, you
1: know, this
0: is the God the parent. Well, God except for it's God is the compassionate parent because for me, if they don't clean up the room, we're not going to ice cream at all. <laughs> Right, so um, it's so it's the punishment
1: that you can't really actually do that You've
2: got to have to you don't get ice cream. You don't get ice
0: cream. All right, just, just in the interest of time. Let me let me uh,
2: just in the interest of time because
0: I do want to I do want to touch on the second question too, uh, and uh, it's already close to eight forty five. So, um, okay, so so that's this is part of a kind of longer discussion. But then it gets to this like really juicy uh, piece. So Rabbi Joshua ben Levi said to Elijah, "Okay, so uh, the ellipses there are that what the prophet? the prophet, the the guy who shows up and drinks your wine at the Passover seder, okay? Uh, and Elijah, uh, according to tradition, is associated with the Messiah because um, he'll announce when the Messiah is coming." Okay, um, that's in the Book of Kings. Elijah is taken up to heaven before he dies, and he kind of lives on in tradition as the person who will um, uh, announce the coming of the messianic era. What he runs scout. He runs scout. He's the standard bearer. Um, so, uh, so the ellipses are that Rabbi uh, Joshua ben Levi like runs into Elijah by a cave somewhere, okay, a- a in the land of Israel. And Rabbi Joshua ben Levi says to Elijah, "When will the Messiah come?" Elijah said to him, "Go ask him." And so I'm, like, imagining Joshua Ben-Levy here being like, being like, go ask him. Like, if I knew where he was, you think I'd be talking to you, right? So Joshua Ben-Levy's like, okay, wh- where is he? Where is he sitting? Elijah said to him, he's sitting at the entrance of Rome. Here's Rome again. And Joshua Ben-Levy asked him, okay, lots of people. I can, imagine, I can read between the lines here, like, there, go to the gates of Rome. There's lots of people there, right? How am I going to recognize him among the, like, thousands of people who were there. By the way, um, uh, who, generally speaking, is outside the city gates? Good. Right, the people who the city doesn't want, right, won't let in or kicked out, right? The the people, the um, the undesirables, right? The, the, The people on the other side of the wall, right? Um, so, um, Okay, so, so how will I identify him? There's lots of people like that there. How will I identify him? And, and just like, just note that for a second, that, that that's where the Messiah is. Messiah is not in like some kind of palace in Rome. Messiah is not in Caesar's palace. Messiah is probably in the worst possible place you could be adjacent to Rome. With the outcasts of the world's great power and wealth. So how will I recognize him? Elijah answered, he sits among the poor who suffer from illnesses. The illness here is probably leprosy, right? He's with the lepers that have been cast out. And all of them untie their bandages and tie them all at once. But the Messiah unties one bandage and ties one at a time. He says, perhaps I will be needed to serve to bring about the redemption. Therefore, I will never tie more than one bandage so that I will not be delayed. Right. So if you were just the casual observer seeing these lepers untying and tying their bandages, he would look like another one of them, but like that one seems to be tying his in, in a different way than all the others. But if you didn't know that that was the Messiah, you would just assume that was like the weird, the weird leper, right? The one who's doing it differently. Um, but now we see the reason for it, but otherwise indistinguishable from all the other outcasts, sick outcasts outside the city of Rome. So, uh, Rabbi Joshua Ben-Levy went to the Messiah, right? He gets in a boat, goes to Rome, goes up to the Messiah, and says to the Messiah, Greetings to you, my rabbi and my teacher. Rabbi Joshua ben Levi said to him, When will the Master come? That's a, 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 don't read too much into that. That's just like um, the formal you know, way he's talking to him. When, 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 are you, when are you coming, Messiah? And the Messiah says to him, Today. So imagine Joshua bin Levi's excitement. Messiah's coming today. Amazing. He gets back into his boat. Takes him, you know, a couple days to get back to the land of Israel. And a couple days pass and the Messiah still hasn't come. And so he goes back to the cave where he had seen Elijah. And he goes back to Elijah and Elijah said to him, What did the Messiah say to you? Rabbi Joshua ben Levi said to Elijah, The Messiah lied to me. Since he said to me, I am coming today. And he did not come. Right? Today is come and gone. There's been several days that have passed. Still no Messiah. And Elisha said to him, This is what he said to you. He said that he will come today if you listen to his voice. He's quoting here a verse from the book of Psalms that we read on Friday evenings. um, which says, Hayom, Said that you didn't listen to the rest of the verse that he was implying by that. Right? He said, "Hayom today, if you listen to his voice. I think that there are probably two ways of reading that. One is, um, you know, if you clean your room, then you'll get to go to ice cream. And the Messiah will come if we do what we're supposed to do to bring the Messiah here. Right? And another way of looking at it is that actually, Uh, the the possibility for redemption is already present. We just need to be attuned to it. If we're attuned to the the divinity, the divine image, the potential of the person that we've cast outside the city, right? Um, If we uh, if we elevate them and care for them and are with them, right? If, if we do those things, if we're attentive to the redemptive possibility all around us, the Messiah would be here right now. I think either of those possibilities are possibilities here, but ultimately, I think that this is rabbinic traditions. Answer to that question, when will you reign over Zion? When is the Messiah coming? Yeah.
1: Well, it, well, it actually, when you say it. it is right there. He, if he went and he spoke to him, then he's already there.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh,
0: right, yeah, he's yeah, there. he's there, right, there. right, right, I'm here, right, you gotta, you yeah. gotta pay I'm, t- I'm if here. you pay attention to me, right, yeah. notice me, and I'm here, right, yeah. yeah.
2: Oh, wow. oh, um, come. like, how do they define come?
0: <laughs> um, like, they will
2: come to the community, like, physically say, hey, I'm here, or... It's interesting you said Rome. It just just sounds like the whole Messiah coming in the world to conscious sounds to me like I'm not into science fiction. But for those who are, like, the authors (laughs) talk about creating worlds and make it believable, like Star Trek or whatever. Like, you have to remember a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah. It's it's
2: very odd. Like, I get the concept, but it's just weird. Like, why Rome?
0: Why Rome? Okay. For the rabbis, I think like Rome was the symbol. Power, right? Yeah. Oh, right. Ra- for the rabbis, it was the symbol of what was right. broken right. in the world. It was the symbol of power, but power for, like, uh, domination, um, uh, so wealth you know, for, ex- for the sake of exploitation. God. What?
2: So, so, the Messiah, who is not necessarily God
0: the messiah is not god in jewish tradition yeah the messiah is an he's is an agent over of god
2: he's, not with us over here. So he's over there
0: trying to prove something he's over there waiting over no the, so messiah in jewish tradition is sort of like is is a king yeah. or um right so when he says he's coming it's like um when am i going to be installed on the throne to uh to um initiate the this era of um of of perfection and harmony that is talked about in the prophets right so he's got to like leave the gates of Rome presumably in order to do that so he's he's waiting there for God to say okay you're it's time for you right um so anyway uh, yeah you know um uh, you, you know someone said that there's, you know, there's only like five stories. Right. Um, and so, you know, you could like read the Messiah story as like, you know, uh, um, an alien invasion story, I guess. Uh, but, um, or, or utopia, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I get that in general when there are utopias, they end up being more like fruitopias. Uh, but, uh, that was a, song, yeah. um, so, but, um, but, uh, meaning they don't, they don't usually work out, but, um, but in, in in Jewish consciousness, which may be which may be uh, uh, you know when when Judaism talks about um, the advent of a of a messianic era, it it, it may it may actually recognize that uh, true perfection um, is not attainable, right? But that the pursuit of perfection, the pursuit of uh, of, of better. Than what we are, more just, more peaceful, right? That's what we should be doing, and so I think that that's actually what it's what, what it's offering here is you know when uh, when will you reign over Zion, right? The more you work to build it, the closer that will be. I think you brought it up earlier about
1: the context, and one of this one of the things we do is we look at this with our modern technology. So the mind that was thinking and writing and living this had no, we are so far evolved from that, it might have really been a much more literal, of course the Mashiach is, 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 a, is a physical, I can touch you, shake your hand, he's going to tie and untie bandages, it was very much that because that was about as far as the brain <clears throat> evolution could actually contemplate
2: stories it's like these guys in a yeshiva in a or something and they are like they leave the study hall yeah. and then the Mashiach character always says you're not ready or you don't know or you're not trying hard enough like they're too ethereal they're too theoretical and they should be helping with it or not work it's not it, and I I um I don't know, I feel like while it's often a person and they're
0: saying things like the master, doesn't Judaism, like, move away from, like, a deleting person? Like, I don't yeah, yeah, I mean, saying. uh, the, the Hebrew there is, uh, the, the English, I think, doesn't do a good, the English is, a uh, emat uh, which is, uh, like, mar is like mister, like, you know, sir, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, um,
2: I always feel like it's more like the person in these scenarios you know, for Mashiach is like, never does enough. You're never doing enough. to better the work. You're sitting around studying. But maybe you're supposed to study too, because like all those people who really, really believe this are so, you're sitting around yeah. and studying.
0: Yeah. So I think they, I think you're right that the that the figure of Elijah and the Messiah in in like the Jewish you know folk tradition is usually um, uh, um, usually functions as a like uh, a, a check on um, distorted values that the other characters in the story have. Um, and maybe he is here too, right? I mean, you know, there is a subtle jab in some ways at um, you know, uh, at like not just, not Joshua Ben Levy per se, but like the world, that like the Messiah's been right in front of you the whole time. You just didn't know because you walked by him and looked the other way because you don't want to have to feel obligated to the people who are begging you um, uh, uh, for, you know, to help them with their bandages. Um yeah, all right. We have five minutes. Let's at least look at the second question, okay? So, second question is from Musaf. Uh, in the Moksur, it's on page 145. Don't worry about that so much. Um, just trust me that it's there. Um, the, the question is this. Meshartav Shoalim Zelazeh. Okay, so um, uh, this isn't uh, uh, this isn't necessarily a question in our mouths. This is a question that the angels are asking. But remember, during the Kedusha we're emulating the angels. So in some sense, like, we're answering, we're asking this question uh, that the angels are asking. Mishartav, God's servants, God's ministering angels, Shualim, Zalazah, ask one another, Aye Mikom Where is the place of God's presence? It's a Yeah. Aye Mikom um, Kivodil. Where is the place of God's presence? So, again, I want to think about, like, why would the Makhzori ask us this question, uh, or ha- have us ask this question, and, and what answer to the question would be most satisfying or meaningful to you? So, just uh, just a couple... Yeah, Deb, do No, oh. saying it out loud.
1: Tonight. Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, well, I, I think of this in... Uh, um, I know Kenner doesn't love this, but uh, um, to the tune of uh, Ere of Shoshoshani, like and the next part is Oh I didn't give by the way, I didn't give, the answer that the monster gives to the last question is the Right? So when will you reign over Zion? The karo Amenu. Speedily and in our days, the Olamba and then forever you will dwell there. Right? So so there is that expression of hope and optimism about that question uh, at the end but i think a recognition that to the point of that verse from rabbi alexandri that it will be bekarov bi amenu if we do the work to get it there which is i think for me one of the reasons that it's in the or is, is a is that reminder to us that we have a role to play in that okay so anyway the, uh, when the uh, angels ask each other um where is the place of God's presence that question will be asked uh, I assume that you might have already looked at the bottom of the page with the answer um, but I'll just uh, just show you the the, uh, the, the, um, um, the question comes from the verse that is going to be quoted from the book of Ezekiel which ends up being the answer to it so the, the verse from Ezekiel that remember I said that the Kedusha uh, is comprised of two um, expressions from the angels that the prophets envision—one from Isaiah, one from Ezekiel. So this phrase, this question, um is um, uh, it introduces the verse from the book of Ezekiel. So the verse from Ezekiel is, uh, then a spirit carried me away. This is a translation of it, uh, but Ezekiel is notoriously difficult to translate. Um, so you might find a million other different translations than this if you look it up. Then a spirit carried me away, and behind me I heard a great roaring sound. Um, it could also be um, uh, a, uh, a, noi- a great noisy voice or something like that. Uh, but a great roaring sound. Blessed is the presence of the infinite from God's place. So I brought, uh, Oh, I didn't translate it because it's a translation in and of itself. Targum Jonathan, which is an, uh, um, uh, uh an early Aramaic translation of the Bible translates, um, uh, the verse as the, uh, basically the same, um, uh, except for the last few words. It's, um, so blessed is uh, the um, uh, right. Blessed, that's why I wanted to bring it, show you. Um, uh, blessed is the uh, uh, presence. Blessed is the presence of God uh, from be from uh, from outside of the house of God's dwelling. Where was what was the house of God's dwelling? It's good, the temple, right? So, in uh, before there was a temple, uh, there was a Mishkan, a tabernacle in the wilderness from that same root, the, the root of God's dwelling, Shlina. Uh And so the Beit Shlinte, the house of God's presence, um, may have been metaphorically, but many of our ancestors believed it literally, that God's literal presence dwelled in that structure. And so, Ezekiel is writing um, uh, during the Babylonian exile. He had just witnessed the destruction of the temple so and was your, exiled to your Babylon. God? Where, is your God? where is your God now, Ezekiel? <laughs> that's, what, that's what he's asking, right? Um, and there was a panic. I, am, I have to imagine, and we know that there was a panic uh, at the time of you know, does this mean does this mean God is dead? Does this mean our God was not real the whole time? Does this mean we should go and worship the Babylonian god because that god's clearly more powerful than our god? Right? Maybe we should give up on this whole Jewish thing. Was a live conversation at that time, and one of the revolutions of Judaism at the time is that um, that that the destruction of the temple and the expulsion of the uh, of, of the Jews from uh, Jerusalem uh, was not a refutation of God's reality, but a, but a, but an affirmation of God's reality. Um, which, so you see that in, uh, in, in the liturgy that we read on um, Tisha B'Av uh, on the holiday that commemorates the destruction of the temple is that they, they uh, read back into the tradition that the reason that the temple was destroyed was not because God abandoned us, not because God was too weak to prevent it, but because God wanted it to happen. And there, and that, but then also they reassured themselves by saying God is bigger than just that place. Right. So we do, we have that line, um, just before the angels ask this question in the Kedusha, God's uh, presence fills the whole world. But his angels, but they don't know, right? Why did the angels don't seem to know where God's presence is? So, um, so Malbeam, uh, a, a medieval commentator, uh, a late medieval commentator, says uh, this about uh, the Ezekiel verse, just to underscore what I'm saying, meaning to say, even though God's presence had been driven from the Holy Temple and God's blessing and abundance will no longer emanate from Jerusalem, which was the place from which God issued forth God's blessing up to that point, God's presence will remain the source of blessing in his place, meaning Ezekiel's place, where he is, right? God is, according to, uh, Moby reassuring Ezekiel here that even though they're exiled into a foreign land, God is still with them. One of the revolutionary ideas of Jewish tradition is, um, is not only God's oneness, but if God is one, then God is everywhere. God is with us when we are in power, and God is with us when we are broken. God is with us in Israel, and God is with us in exile. God is with us in joy, and God is with us in pain. Um, so um, we have that idea in uh, uh, from Isaiah that "Melo Kol Haaretz Kavodel," that God's presence fills the whole world. But it sometimes doesn't feel that way. So Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Kotzk great uh, Hasidic master in the 19th century, um, he once um, asked his students um, this question, where is God's uh, presence? And they like laughed at him. They're like, what do you mean, where is God's presence? <laughs> the whole world is filled with God's glory. And he said to them, you're not right. That's not where God's is where is the dwelling place of God? God dwells wherever we let God in. So encountering that question, where is the place of God's uh, presence immediately made me think of Menachem Mendel Kotzk that the Moxar here is inviting us um, to open ourselves up to God's presence and, um, uh, I brought here uh, the verse from Exodus um, that in some ways is the source of that. Right? If you build it, God will come. Right? If, you, if, you, if you make your heart a place where God's invited in, God will come into your heart. If you make the community a place where God's invited in, God will come into the community. If you make the world a place where God's invited in, God will, will come in, in the world. Um, and then the answer that, that's given to this question of where is the place of God's uh, uh, presence um, is a little bit, is, is sort of cryptic, right? It's back from Ezekiel. baruch yomeru. And so those facing them say, right, we respond to the angels in some way, right? So the, the angels are asking, I don't, I don't see God anywhere, right? It's weird for angels to say, but that's what angels are saying. And we say to them, blessed. Right? We, we answer this line from Ezekiel. Blessed is the presence of the infinite from God's place. So God's presence is are we just have to open ourselves up to seeing and experience God
1: there? What a beautiful um, image of you know, we, we live in a world where the concept of angels is such like a this, this, they're up on high, right? They're more almost as if they were more important than us, but really, what this is saying and the God's invocation is. We're the ones who are telling the angels what to what's going on. Like that, we are able to do that. We are not. the in one pocket, we you know we're we're less than the angels. And we're, we're higher than the angels. The other word, we're, we're, yeah. so, right. we're, we're dust. Yeah, we're dust and ashes, yeah. and yeah. the world
0: was created for me. Yeah,
1: right. And and to the the, the belief that we are that important to God, yeah. that we can answer that question to. God's ministering angels,
0: right? That's a pretty profound thought. And, and going back to the, the point that you made before, maybe we'll conclude with this idea, is that um, this is also, I think, uh, uh, um, uh, touches on uh, an idea that Dina brought up, is... You know, that um, that our ability to experience and perceive and encounter God is a function of our humanity, a function of our imperfection, right? Um, God is present here in Babylon, right? God is present in the brokenness. Like, that's where we let God in. Uh, that's the great Leonard Cohen line. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in, right? So we come on the High Holy Days um, owning our imperfection, right? And in that imperfection, we can see things more clearly than the angels, right? That's where we, that's where we meet God. And and that may actually go to this idea, you know, of that other read of the the Talmud, you know, that, um, um, that in some way the, the, the bad, the broken, um, is the place of our healing. Um, which, which is, I think, a really powerful idea to reflect on during during the holidays. So um, uh, we're, we're over time, and I'm, I'm mindful of that. Uh, so I'm, I'm really just grateful for this uh, conversation opportunity to uh, to uh, explore these two questions next week. Uh, Cantor, is you want to give a sneak preview? Uh,
1: we're going to continue to talk about Musaf um, and. A uh, little well, hinted at Leonard Cohen. Um, we'll probably start a little bit with that. and' um, are familiar with the song, Who By Fire? Um, and we'll be talking about Barosh Hashanah um, and the text there. Yeah.